Hello, this is Rabbi Daniel Karopkin. Welcome to this podcast for learning the classic philosophical work by Maimonides, or Rambam, called More Nevuchim, or Guide for the Perplexed. This text has been studied for centuries by great scholars, Jewish and non-Jewish alike. It seeks to reconcile Aristotelian and Neoplatonic philosophy with the Torah of our people, and is considered the perfect entree for reconciling one's spiritual and rational personas. Join me for half-hour installments as we explore the text together. Low network connection, connection available, okay, good. All right, so we're gonna give out two handouts today. Um, I wanna remind you that um, by now, if you're sort of trying to figure out um, the Mora Nevuchim, uh, it's a good idea to get order the uh, Guide for the Perplexed uh, from Amazon. But we have the first chapter here. So if you want to take some, pass it around, please. Thank you. That now, would, now would be a good time to go order the Mora Nevuchim online. Guide for the Perplexed by Maimonides translated by Shlomo Pines of the University, and it's published by the University of Chicago. This is the translation and the pagination that we're using. Let's get started. Okay, sorry about all the delays. Okay, well, after all of that lengthy introduction, is I guess there's a lot for us to talk about, about Jewish philosophy. Now, open ye the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faithfulness may enter in. That's how we open up this uh, chapter. Um, I'm not sure whether, whether or not the Rambam actually quoted that Pusuk or whether that was added by a later publisher is unclear, but the very first chapter is something is where the Rambam is going to engage in a discussion of describing two words that appear in Tanakh, tselem and demut. Both of those terms are used to describe how man was made in God's image or in God's likeness. Immediately, this strikes the Rambam as something that he must explain at the outset because this seems to contradict the incorporeality of God. God, according to the Rambam, must be the very definition of what God is as God is incorporeal. And the reason that God must be incorporeal is because the most vital thing that we know about God is that he is, he is one, he is unitary. And anything that is truly unitary must be non-physical, must be incorporeal. And therefore, if we encounter words in Tanakh that ascribe corporeality to Hashem, then we need to redefine them and explain them in the proper fashion. And that is the function of this first chapter. We're going to see the Rambam coming back to this idea of God's unity as be, and, his, and as a result, his incorporeality as being vital for an understanding of Hashem. 
And we're just going to read the first paragraph today, and then we're going to launch into why unity, why Yichud, or Yichud Hashem, is such an important concept for the Rambam. Image, Tselem, and likeness, Dumut. People have thought that in the Hebrew language, image denotes the shape and configuration of a thing. This supposition led them to the pure doctrine of the corporeality of God on account of his saying, Na'ase adam bitsalmenu kidmusenu. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. For they thought that God has a man's form. And, and by that I mean his shape and configuration. The pure doctrine of the corporeality of God was a necessary consequence to be accepted by them. In other words, once they saw that Hashem wants to make man in his image, God has to necessarily be similar to man in some way. And if man has, has corporeality, then God must have corporeality. They accordingly believed in it and deemed that if they abandoned this belief, they would give the lie to the biblical text. They would be unfaithful and betray the biblical text. That they would even make the deity to be nothing at all unless they thought that God was a body provided with a face and a hand like them in shape and configuration. Meaning that if we, if we don't give God, if we don't ascribe to God some level of image or form or shape, then we are allowing God to escape between our fingers. He's going to disappear entirely. And this is, of course, for the Rambam, a very big mistake. However, he is, in their view, bigger and more resplendent than they themselves, and the matter of which he is composed is not flesh and blood. So even those who ascribe corporeality to God recognize that it, even though God has appendages, he has a head, he has a body, he has legs, and he has arms, but it's not like ours. It's a much more ethereal kind of corporeality. As they see it, this is as far as one can go in establishing the separateness of God from other things. Okay, now, it is interesting to note that there is a medrash that does just that. There is a medrash called Midrash Shi'ur Koma, which is, uh, goes back at least to the times of the Ga'onim. Um, 6th, 7th, 8th century, which does describe in, in some kind of esoteric way God's bodily dimensions. There is such a medrash. It talks about the length of God's legs going up from how many parses and so forth, and God's arms and God's head. And of course, you can imagine the Rambam is very unhappy with this midrash, because he feels that this is a terrible mistake for anyone to make to ascribe any level of corporeality or any kind of form or shape to the Ribona Shalola. Uh, and it is one of those few instances where the Rambam had to, felt compelled to directly address this particular Midrash and say that it was a forgery, that it is not an authentic Jewish text, but comes, so has some Byzantine uh, uh, adulteration add, added to it. This is a very, the Rambam writes this in a tshuva. This is very unusual for the Rambam because as we've mentioned before, when the Rambam disagrees with something, he tends to just ignore it and pretend it doesn't exist. This is one of the few instances where he felt that this was such a, um, a, 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 an error of epic proportions that he needed to address it directly. But now let's take a look 
Now, with respect to that which ought to be said in order to refute the doctrine of corporeality of God and to establish his real unity, which can have no true reality unless one disproves his corporeality. So again, the Rambam says the two are, in, are, de, are dependent upon each other. God cannot be truly one unless he is completely incorporeal. And we'll see why as we go along. So in order for me to uh, disprove God's corporeality, you shall know the demonstration of all of this from this treatise. In other words, one of my main functions in Moranavuchim is to dispel that myth. However, here in this chapter, only an indication is given with a, a view to elucidating the meaning of image and likeness. That's our function in the, for the rest of this chapter. So we're going to put aside the chapter now, and let's understand where throughout the writings of the Rambam, he talks about God's unity as being one of the, as being the most essential characteristic of Hashem that we can describe about God. So here, take this handout, and um, the Rambam feels that when the Torah says, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, it is doing so in order to describe in some way Hashem's, Hashem's true essence in the truest way that man can possibly know God. Now, why is it important? Why is it important for man to know Hashem's essence? The reason why it's important for Hashem to uh, for man to know Hashem's essence for the Rambam is because the knowledge of Hashem is what grants a Jew eternal life. The more one knows about Hashem and his universe, the more that one gains a sense of connection to Hashem after one dies. Because for the Rambam, and this is part of his doctrine that he launches into both in the Mora and in his Perush HaMishnayis on Sanhedrin, is that what happens to us after we die is that our knowledge is the thing that uh, exists us that's, that exists us within us after the after after our bodies die, and the greater our knowledge of Hashem and His universe is, the more connected we are, the more real our olam haba is, and therefore, even though we will never be able to truly grasp Hashem, because of our limited intellects, because the human intellect is by definition limited, there is one thing that we can understand about Hashem, and that is his unity. And the more that we focus on God's unity, the more that we will have a perfect, to the best of our ability, a perfect knowledge of what and whom God is. The Rambam was not the first person to feel that this was a necessary endeavor. This had already been begun in the period of the Gaonim, a couple of centuries before the Rambam, Rabbi Sadjagon felt that this was a very necessary exercise as well. And, um, and also the Chovos Olavavos, who comes a century before the Rambam at least, also felt that this was a necessary endeavor. Before I go into a further discussion of the Rambam's definition of Hashem, it's important to know that this was not the way that Chazal understood the commandment of Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. And by the way, I say, that it, I say that it is a commandment because the Sefer Hachinuch writes 
that the Pasuk Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad is one of the Taryag mitzvot, it's one of the 613 mitzvot. But when we look at the way that Chazal understood it, they were not looking at it as a philosophical definition of the essence of God. But for the Rambam, this is very important, and for those who are in the same philosophical milieu as the Rambam, it's also very important. You have to also remember where he is in the world and the influences that he is under. Remember the Mutakalimun that we talked about, these Islamic philosophers who believe that, one, that religion, religious uh, ideology, religious principles can be proven through philosophical logic is very much a part of what shapes and forms the thinking of people like Reb Sajigon, Rabbeinu Bachaya Ibn Pakuda, the author of the Chobos Alavavos, and the Ramban. And as such, they felt very strongly that um, just like the culture that they were a part of used philosophical argumentation to prove the unity of Hashem, because unity of God is a very, it's the most important thing in Islam, the same thing has to be uh, said for the unity of God in Judaism as well. And that in itself uh, has earned that whole school of Jewish thinkers a lot of criticism because there are many people both before and after, well, certainly during and after their time who felt that this was not an appropriate way of interpreting Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad that you'll never know the essence of Hashem, and to try and, and, and grasp some kind of essential quality of the Creator is not only not constructive, but it's, counter, it's counterproductive. Let, I want to share with you the way Rav Hirsch, now of course Rav Hirsch is in the 19th century, we know that, he's much, much later. But there's a very interesting paragraph that he has very interesting passage that he has about the mitzvah of Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. Um, he says, Shema Yisrael, here the knowledge of God is based on our common observation, proclaimed above in chapter 4, verse 35, in Atahare Saladas ki Hashem hu Elokim ein od milavado, etc. For what is laid down here as the very first fundamental truth of our knowledge for us ever to take to heart, the achdus of our God is nothing but the positive denial of all ancient and modern polytheistic ideas and false opinions. That's the reason why Hashem is described as echad, because you need to reject avodah zarah of the time of the Bible and even that, that goes beyond the biblical period. In the midst of all the greatest contradictory appearance of the manifold presentations of nature, history, and our own inner selves, a contradictory variety which, more than anything else, begat and begets the polytheistic erroneous conception. This echad expresses the fact, the truth, of the whole of this apparent antagonism, heaven to earth, personal to universal, what one pursues to what one avoids, endures and conquers, constructive forces and material to destructive ones, all the changes of day and night, of becoming and reverting, of blooming and withering, of living and dying, of having and losing, of eating and starving, of rising and falling, loving and hating, of joy and sorrow, of the, uh, the contrasts of freedom and sub subjugation, 
of spiritual and material, of heavenly and earthly, out of which human beings feel themselves woven. It is one single one, God alone, who created and holds all these contrasts, arranges them, and guides them, who formed all these contrasts about us and in us, from whom all our joy and all our sorrow comes, our spirit and our body. He created our bodies and invested them with spirit from his spirit and personality from his own and freedom of will from his free will. So one of the mysteries of our understanding of Hashem is that he is truly one and yet so much multiplicity and dichotomy, as he's just described so poetically, exists within our universe. And so Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad is an affirmation that despite all of the contradictions that appear and that gives rise to a belief in a multiplicity of controllers of our universe, we affirm not that way. And that's why he says in the next paragraph that polytheistic thinkers who looked at all of the occurrences of the world subjectively from their relations to mankind grouped the whole of these contradictory appearances into two opposing factors, those that were in agreement with the wishes and desires of men and those that were opposed to them. And the whole of the variety of the rest of the world of gods came under the sway of two, highly godly, two high godly powers who fought each other for the mastery of the world and men. And it was just out of this irreconcilable struggle that the whole contradictory manifestations in the external and internal world of men resulted. So the whole idea of a duality of deities, of uh, things like Zoroastrianism and Manichaeism, the uh, ancient, uh, uh, um, not, not monotheistic, but, um, but dual, dual, dual god belief is because of the dark and the light and the, the opposites and the contradictions that appear in the world. And that gave rise to multiple gods. Now, Let's skip a little bit. Our Chazal II, second column, uh, paragraph, have, have taught the achdus expressed in Shema in a similar sense. And essentially what he, what he means to say is, is that the whole reason why we affirm Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad is to essentially say that God is not two. That even though there appears in the world to be more than one being that gives rise to all of this, it all emanates from one. And therefore, thus in, in, in Rabos on our verse, in one of the Midrashim on our verse, the Midrash says, Amar HaKadosh Baruch Hu Yisrael, B'ni kol barasi barasi zugos. My son, God says to Israel, everything that I created in this world are created in pairs, are created in a, a dual fashion. Shemaim va'aretz zugos. Chama ulevana zugos, Adam v'chava zugos, ha'olam hazeh v'ha'olam haba zugos. Heaven and earth are a duality. Sun and moon are a duality. Man and woman are a duality. This world and the next world are a duality. Aval kevodi echad umeyuchad ba'olam. But my glory is one and is unified in the world. Minayin mima shekarinu ba'inyan, shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. Okay, etc. And then he goes into quotes many other midrashim and statements of our sages in, the, in that fashion. But now let's take a look at this last paragraph that I have copied for you. And the reason why uh, I put a bracket around one of the phrases is because I think that the translator from German to English may have got it a little bit incorrect. Because when you look at the Hebrew, and I don't speak German, but when you look at the Hebrew version of Hirsch, 
it comes out to be something very different. He writes as follows, but if speculative thinkers believe they can take the echad of the Shema to vouchsafe some information or throw some light on the nature of God's being, and as the Hebrew says, pashut sheinenu murkav, they say that God is a simplicity that has no, is not complex in any way. That's really the way that you should translate that phrase in brackets thereby to find some vague transcendental ladder by means of which to scale some insight into the nature of God himself. For that, as far as we know, there has been no predecessor in the national sages of our people. Altogether, they are pursuing an effort which would leave the achdus Hashem, that fundamental basis of all our thinking, quite useless and unfruitful for our lives. And moreover, in our opinion, would very much lose sight of the limitations which are set to the extent of human knowledge. So Rav Hirsch is critical of this end endeavor because he feels that, number one, it's, you're not, it doesn't translate well into how we should lead our lives. In other words, the reason why Hashem gave us this mitzvah is because he wants us to confront our physical universe with and relate to it as a unified whole. It's not that Hashem wants us to approach God and view him as a unified whole. And not only that, but to try and uh, ascribe some positive attribute that I can understand about God's essence and say that the human mind can grasp that is actually a diminution of Hashem's essence that transcends all human understanding and comprehension. And this is such a, a core issue of debate within the great rabbinic thinkers of the Middle Ages. That for Rav Hirsch, God's definition and essence transcends all human understanding and it's therefore an exercise in futility. For the Rambam, for Psajigon, for Rabbeinu Bachia ibn Pakuda, it is not that way. Their, the human mind, granted, is quite limited in its ability to grasp the essence of Hashem. We will never fully understand it. But there is one thing that Hashem said, I will grant you permission to understand of me, and that is my unity. And the more you understand my unity, the more connected you will be to me, because when your intellect grasps God, then you become one with God. And so therefore, I am telling you, says Hashem, the one thing that you need to establish about me is Hashem Echad. And that has to be intellectually embedded within your minds in order for you to gain immortality and that is why the Rambam spends so much time on this. It is the second of the 13 Ikarim, the first one being to that man must establish a belief in the existence of God, and then the second Ikar, as you have in front of you on source number two, the second principle is the unity of God. May he be blessed, which is to say that we believe that he who is the cause of everything is one. And he is not like one of a pair, and not like one of a group, and not like one person that can be divided into many similar units, and not like a simple body which is numerically one, but can be infinitely divided. Rather, he, God, may he be blessed, is one in a unity that has no unity like it. And this is the second principle, meaning the second principle of faith, the second dogma of the 13 dogmas of faith, and it is indicated by that which is stated, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. Okay. The Sefer Chovos HaLavavos, 
uh, is structured in such a way that it devotes the entire, after the Hakdama, it devotes an entire chapter on establishing the unity of God. It's quite interesting because the Chobos Olavavos is studied in most yeshivas today, and it is accepted as the sine qua non of character development from that period of the Middle Ages, the early Middle Ages. When I say that, I mean it's this, the Rabbeinu Bachi ibn Pakuda was one of the earliest of the Rishonim. He lives in the 10th, 10th and 11th centuries. He's a contemporary of Rashi. And some of the things that he writes are, we don't even know exactly what his influences were and where he got many of the stories and parables uh, that he presents in the Sefer. But one of the things that, and the reason why it's so uh, loved and embraced is because it talks about a devotional person who views the bodily commandments as secondary to the duties of the heart. That for Rabbeinu Bachia, if a person does not have an engaged mind and, and emotional commitment to the things that he's doing in Judaism, then he is discarding the fruit and only eating the shell only eating the peel. And that's really the essence of Chavos Olavavos. And because of that, what you harbor intellectually and emotionally in your mind and in your heart are of paramount importance for the Chavos Olavavos. And that's why he devotes the very first section of it to an intellectual proof using philosophical logic to the unity of God, because he feels that that is the most important thing for a Jew to harbor intellectually about Hashem. What's curious is, is that although the entire Sefer is studied, the one part of the Sefer that in Yeshiva we always skip over is the Shar Hayichud, is the gate of unifi- the, the unity of God. And, uh, but, but in source number three, I just give you the first couple of sentences. Hashar Harishon Shar Hayichud the author writes, When we try to look into what are the most necessary foundations of our faith or the cornerstones of our faith, we have discovered that the unification or the, in establishing the God's unity with a complete heart is the very first gate of all of the gates that will give you entry into the Torah. That through one's establishment of unity, that's how you, that's how you let's just say, like, like we say in English, that's how you split the men from the boys. Right? or that's how you divide the believer from the heretic, is this one single issue of God's unitary essence. Anyone who diverges from this principle of unity, will no act will help him, and no... no um, idea of faith will ever be able to, be, to settle upon him. And that is why the very first statement that God made to us at Har Sinai, which we just read in our Parsha, 
was Anochi Hashem Elokecha, Lo Yihielecha Elohim Achirim. Not clear whether Rabbeinu Bachia counts this as one commandment or two commandments, right? It's irrelevant right now. But he says that I'm the Lord thy God and you may not have any other God before me is all a, a, a way of saying that you must believe in the unity of Hashem. And then afterwards in Deuteronomy, Hashem commands us via his Navi Moshe. Um, let's see. The, the last thing I'd like to go over with you today is the Rambam in the Mishnah Torah itself in Hilchos Yisodeh HaTorah. Um, because again, this is the cornerstone of faith. It's the num- numero uno, the number one issue for so many of the thinkers of the, the, the Rambam and his contemporaries. So in Hilchos Yisodeh HaTorah, the very first chapter of Mishnah Torah, the, the first six part, paragraphs are devoted to demonstrating the existence of God, just like the first dogma of faith. But then in paragraph seven, the Rambam talks about God's unity. This God is one God, source number one. Everyone see it? He is neither two nor more than two, but one to whose unity there is no comparison among the individual units in the universe. Not like the unit of a genus which embraces many individual units, nor like the unit of a body which is divisible into parts and particles, but a unit to whose unity no other unit in the universe is like. Supposing that there are many deities is equivalent to an admission that they are corporeal, because like individual beings do not differ save in chance traits characteristic of bodies and material things only. So the Rambam now makes a, a philosophical argument. And he says that if you were to suggest that there is more than unity to God, that there is more than one deity, then you would, by definition, also be suggesting that God is corporeal, that there is some kind of ascription of, of, of um, mass to Hashem. And the reason why that's necessary is because if I have two of the same item, the only thing that separates them is their mass. If I have two chairs that are exactly identical, what makes them not one? Well, one is here and one is there, right? So if there are two gods that are exactly the same, what divides them? Their, their place, their space, their corporeality. And so that's the argument, is that unity is, uh, is completely linked to the incorporeality of Hashem. And it's essentially saying that God is unique and that there is no, nothing that can be compared to him. And, uh, and, uh, and that is, by definition, what makes him God. Thus, supposing the creator to be corporeal and material would force a conclusion that he is finite, for it is impossible to imagine a body which does not end in dissolution. Once you say that something is corporeal, it means that it cannot be infinite. So therefore, a suggestion that God is not unitary leads to the fact that God is, is corporeal, which leads to the conclusion that God is not infinite, that he is finite. And all of those that collapses our belief in Hashem. But our God, blessed is his name, beholding that his power is infinite and uninterrupted, for lo, the universal sphere continues to revolve forever. The Rambam uses as his proof that God is infinite, because of the observation that the cosmos are constantly in, ro- in rotation. 
We're not going to get into that further today. That'll be for a later topic, a more advanced topic. But the Rambam demonstrates, and the word demonstrates I mean here in a, in a philosophical way. He has demonstrated that God must be infinite because of the infinite nature of the rotation of the cosmos. His power is positively not a physical power, and because he is incorporeal, none of the chance traits characteristic of bodies, when he says chance traits, what he means is non-essential. That's what the word chance means over here. Characteristic of bodies so as to be divisible or an offshoot of another being can be attributed to him. Therefore, the impossibility for him to be but one. It is impossible for him to be anything other than one. And the knowledge of this doctrine of monotheism is a mandatory commandment saying, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. It's a positive commandment. Okay, questions, comments for today? Yes? In this paragraph, it says, God's power God. We have a God, you have a God, your God may be material. Shouldn't he be saying the God? And not that he's formulating a God in all these nice characteristics, unity, because that is the highest quality. It's making it sound like, you know, you're God, you can make, make him out the, the way you want it to be. But I'm the just... God that I'm formulating here and describing, this perfect one, that, that language is just power. Kind of. uh, okay, um, Shemo. Okay, yeah, he says, yeah, and he does say in the Hebrew, "Our God." It could be that he's try that this is being written. Um, um, this is read being written polemically to show, you know, we are not polytheists. There may be those who profess monotheism, but also believe in a corpore in a corporeal God like Christianity, and therefore we have to dispel that. God cannot be in a physical form. And once you try to ascribe physicality to him, then by definition, he's no longer our God. He's your God, and you might think he's the same God as ours, but he ain't. Why, why can't you have, I mean, logically, why can you not have many incorporeal gods? Yes, so therefore, the answer is, is that, yeah. The, 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 the answer is, is because once you have more than one thing what, that, that are the same, what divides them? Why, why are they the same? Well, because if, if both of them are all-powerful, then they, they, then, they then they are the same. So part, part of the supposition is that each, uh, is that our God is all-powerful, an all-powerful being. Right. Let's say there's more than one of them. So then the only way that they can be divided from each other is spatially. Because otherwise they would, they would fold, they would fold, fold into themselves and become one. That's the argument as I understand it. Yes, Benjamin. Who's Hirsch referring to in the last paragraph when he says speculative metaphysics? Right. So uh, as I allu had alluded to, um, I think he's referring to the Rambam in his ilk. That's precisely who I think he's referring to, and <coughs> whereas in many instances, Rav Hirsch is very Maimonidean because he's a rationalist. But in this particular area, I believe that he has polemicized against the Rambam. The concept of this spherot, mysticism, this would be totally antagonistic. We'll, we'll, we'll get into the spherot later. Okay? Have a wonderful day.